Thank you, Jeff and singers. It is good to see you back tonight. Thank you uh, for coming and being a part of studying God's Word. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We began our series last week on the life of, of Joseph, an interesting character, interesting person in the Bible. Um, and just to review, I touched on these last week, but by way of, of introduction tonight and review, one of, the, one of the most interesting things about Joseph in the Bible is he is a type of Christ. And I mentioned several elements last week, but I want to take a few moments this evening and, and delve into them a little more because we're going to see it and what happens to him in this passage tonight, beginning in verse 12. God, throughout the Bible, you understand um, that from Genesis to Revelation, there's a plan. It's the plan of salvation. And so how wonderful when you see the unity of the Bible and that no matter where you're reading, you can go right to Jesus. In other words, you can be in any passage and find the gospel in there pretty near every passage of the Bible. Um, I like it. Philip, you know, you remember in the New Testament in Acts, Philip, God sent Philip out into the desert in the middle of nowhere and he runs out there and finds the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch's reading in Isaiah and Philip jumps up in the chariot and preaches Jesus to him. Man, I like that, okay? I mean, it gets getting anywhere. Well, you find here in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, this man, Joseph, whom was chosen by God, obviously, to be used in the way he's going to be used, but in his life is a picture of Christ. And let me give you some elements to consider how his life compares in pictures and foreshadows the life of Christ. Number one, we mentioned last week in passing that he was sent by his father. This evening, we're going to look at the passage where Jacob sends him out to find his brothers. And you'll see not a simple task. Them boys are 50 miles away from, from, from home and will be further away by the time they get to this place called Dothan. So it's not a simple thing that Jacob is going to send him. Uh, it's a serious matter. Well, and, like, and likewise, the father sent Jesus the son a long way, uh, you know, from glory to here, uh, to take on a human form and to live as a man here. And, you know, we know John 3.16 very well, but verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, might Jesus, uh, was sent by the Father uh, a long way to come here on our behalf. So Joseph would have a long journey because not only would he go the 50 miles to look for his brothers, and then another 15 on top of that, he ended up going all the way to Egypt, which wasn't his plan. Uh, so he went a long way to be what? To be the savior of many, uh, because God used him to do that. So a beautiful type there. And secondly, not only was Joseph sent a long ways by his father, but he was sent to a people who hated him. He was sent to a group of guys who didn't like him. Now it's sad, and we won't have time to get into it here, it's sad in a home or in any setting where siblings uh, can't get along. I mean, you know as parents, if you're a mom and dad, the one thing you want for your children is to love one another and, and to get along. In my heart, you know, you know our, both of our, our big children are in California. If you'd asked me that a few years ago, that would have been the last, that would have been the last thing I would have thought that would happen, but... Megan's in L.A. and Nathan's in San Diego in the Navy. And it's about a three-hour drive from San Diego up to L.A. 
And every now and then he'll text his mama. He never texts me, by the way. He always texts his mama. <laughs> something, something up there. But uh, he'll text his mama. I get all the news through the, her. He said, I'm going to go spend the weekend with Megan. <clears throat> and so then we'll get flooded with pictures of them two, you know, here and them two here. And it does our heart good because we see them together so far away, you know, enjoying one another's fellowship. That wasn't the, the case with Joseph. You know from last week that his brothers were jealous of him and they hated him. In fact, the Bible says they couldn't speak kindly to him. And how sad that is that, that we would be in a family that has no, no love for one another. And again, not to, you know, we could chase, there's application all over the place here, but the church body is a family. The church is a family. And how sad it is and, and, and I know it breaks the heart of God when we don't get along with one another because we're in the same family. We're, we're born of the same blood of Christ. Uh, and yes, we're all different. And yes, you know, somebody likes pickles and somebody doesn't, you know, and how the thing goes, right? But, but we're all in the family and we should be able to get along and love one another. Well, Joseph is not only sent, but he's sent to, to brothers who, who hate him. And, and you'll see tonight, mean him harm. Well, Jesus left heaven and came here to a people who rejected him. He didn't, listen, the, the people of Israel were looking for a Messiah that met their specifications, not God's. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't bow to God's plan. And so they hated Jesus and they rejected him and they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. Uh, and the Bible says uh, in John chapter one that he came to his own and his own would not receive him. And that's, Joseph is a picture of that. He went to his brothers and they certainly didn't receive him. You'll, you'll see tonight, they, they did anything but receive him. And thirdly, Joseph is a type of Christ in that he died. Now, Joseph didn't die literally, but to his family he did. Because his dad, what did the boys do? They lied to their dad, right? And said, oh, he was killed by a wild animal. See, here's blood on his coat. And we don't know what happened, you know. We come home and there's his coat laying there. And so they lied to their Jesus came and buried, rose again the third day, uh, and is our Savior today. So we see this parallel. And then finally, uh, the Savior part. Joseph is not a Savior. I mean, multitudes of people. And people, listen, people that weren't even part of, of, of the Hebrew family would have perished if not for what God did with Joseph and are not part of that promised covenant, we can be saved. And we have of that bread, if you will, the bread of life because of Jesus. So what a beautiful picture Joseph is in the Old Testament of Jesus and what he did for us. And you'll see a little bit more of that in our passage this evening. So look at verse 12 and we see where Joseph is sent. Here's the first part. In verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, uh, said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? 
come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Now pause there for a moment. Joseph was well aware of, of how difficult, you know, I mean, I, I'm almost sure Joseph in his heart was going, oh no, you're going to send me after them fellows, you know, but he said, here I am, meaning I'm willing to do what you asked me to do. Verse 14, then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks. Bring back word to me. So he sent him out, to the, uh, out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now, I mentioned it in, in, in introducing the passage this evening. Um, Shechem is 50 miles from Hebron, give or take a few miles, okay? Now, for us, 50 miles, we hop in the car and we're there in an hour, give or take. But walking or riding a donkey or, you know, whatever the mode of transportation was, and I figure from the text, it's his feet, okay? So he's walking. He isn't. He isn't riding something. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But when he gets there, he's wandering around and somebody sees him and says, well, you look, so 50 miles, that's a pretty good hike, right? And so if you walk two mile an hour, three mile an hour at most, this isn't a one day trip is what I'm telling you. So he's taking his lunch with him. He's, he's, this is a trip and he's going and, and, and he goes to look, his dad sends him. Now, some questions we might ask ourselves here. Why would the boys take the sheep so far away from home? Well, there's a couple of possibilities. It doesn't tell us, but I'll give them to you because it's Sunday night and we can do that. Number one, we know there's a famine coming, don't we? Because we've read the rest of the story. We know that, the, that there's going to be a famine coming in a few years. And many scholars say that the land was already beginning to feel the effects of less rain. And so that the grazing land was harder to find and that they were moving around further. Eh, okay. The famine isn't there yet. Maybe so. I think it's more likely them guys are rascals. That's what I think. Let me tell you why I say that. Where they went to Shechem is where all the events of chapter 34 took place. And let me just remind you of what happened in chapter 34. These boys have a sister named Dinah. There was a prince there named Shechem. His name was Shechem. He was a prince of the land. And he, he uh, defiled Dinah. They had a relationship. Well, when the boys found out about it, the 11 brothers, there is no wrath like brothers whose, sisters, whose sister has been, you know, offended. So these 11 boys, you know, go to, go to Shechem and say, hey, you have defiled our sister. And then the boy said to them, but I love your sister and I want to marry her. Well, they from the get-go were rascals. They were deceptive. So they said, well, let's tell them they got to become like us and then we're going to kill them all. So they told all the men in the city, you have to be circumcised. And while the men were recovering, they killed all of them. Okay. It happened in Shechem. Now I happen to be of the persuasion. And again, the Bible doesn't say you can come up with your own reason I think they're back over there surveying the land. I think they're back over there to no good because they killed everybody who was in the city. And so I just think they're over there for no good. Now, we know God's got a master plan here. So even though they're over there for whatever reason, God's going to use that to get Joseph into Egypt. But the point is, I think these boys were far from home for no good. And they won't be around the house. And they took their daddy's sheep with them. And so they're way over there. And Jacob is concerned about them, and rightfully so. 
right after they killed a whole city full of men, Jacob said to them, you just killed us. Because everybody around here is going to figure out that you're a bunch of rascals and they're going to come kill you and the rest of us. Your whole family because you guys are wicked. Jacob scolded his boys. And so now he knows they're all the way over there. They probably have no business being. And so he says to Joseph, hey, will you go check on your brothers and bring me word back and tell me if they're okay and tell me if the, if the sheep are okay and if they're okay. Isn't that like a dad? Your boys are rascals, but you're going to take care of them anyway. You know, go over there and find out if they're okay and let me know if they're all right and bring me back word. So I think Jacob had good reason to be concerned, which made me think of a couple other things while I was looking at this. Surely Jacob was well aware of the animosity between those 11 and Joseph. And you would think that if somebody's got to go check on them, maybe he needs to pick somebody else, like a servant or something, right? Instead of sending Joseph, especially because Joseph's probably going to be wearing that coat. The one that says, I'm number one and y'all aren't, right? The coat that says, I'm getting most of the inheritance and you ain't. The coat that says, you're out of luck. You know, that coat that says, up to them, right? The Bible doesn't say, and God's sovereign, and God's doing. how serious it was. But the fact is, he sends Joseph anyway. And then the second part is his willingness to go that I just mentioned in the introduction. Concern, but you probably need to send somebody else because number one, they don't like me. You know, I might have been thinking that, you know, or dad, if you send me, send me about 15 servants to go with me. Okay. And by the way, let them bring their swords because, you know, I may need them. I may need some protection on the way. But you don't see any of that. You know what Joseph says? I'm, I'm willing to go. That's probably one of the most Christ-like aspects of this thing is that Joseph understands full well the danger that his dad sent him in, but it's for his brothers. And here's the, his brothers good, and they mean him evil. Is that not like Jesus? Jesus came here meaning, us, meaning for us good and meaning for Israel good. And yet they did nothing but harm to him. I'm reminded in Philippians 2.8, the Bible says of Jesus in that great passage about his humility and being found in the four.
That's the picture. That Even though it's dangerous and they're not going to like me, but I'll go. So Joseph takes off on his trip in verses 15 to 17. He arrives in Shechem. Look at it with me. Now a certain man found him. And there he was, wandering in the field. My brothers, please. funny. I mean, it's so, it's so full of, of things that you just want to know that it's incredible. So I'll just tell you a couple of them. So you, just this man there, just this guy. And furthermore, he knows his brothers. Did you find that weird? In fact, he said, I heard them say, meaning he's been in close proximity with them. Who is this guy? So, and funny as it is, here's Joseph wandering around, looking for his brothers. What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for my brothers. Oh yeah, them guys. I heard them say they're going to Dothan. Now, Jewish tradition says he's an angel. Jewish tradition. There's no biblical, you know, just, you can't go in the Bible and go, oh yeah, that guy's an angel. But it's awful funny, isn't it? I mean, it's awful weird that there's this guy who just happens to be there when Joseph gets there and happens to have heard what his brothers were saying and happens to know where they are and where they're going. I don't know, kind of strange. But in any case, this guy says they're 15 more miles away from where he is. So he's already gone 15. Now he's going to go 15 more. He's going to be 65 miles from home. That's a long they see him. Look at verses 18 to 20. Now when they saw him afar off, how you figure they did that? That coat shining in the sun, man. The coat.
Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some wild beast has devoured him. Making comments about this, some, some scholars. And the first thing that all of them agree people about, and you basically had to defend yourself. There was no 911. And so I understand that. But for 11 brothers to, to just flat out decide, we're going we're gonna to kill our Matthew Henry. Yeah, you got to do it slow. But, but yeah. Let me tell you, of all the stuff I was reading, and it's not mine, I'm going to share it with you. Number one, he identified the emotions will get you in trouble. Okay, if they're not checked by the Holy Spirit by the truth of God's word, one way away, and without emotion, without without anything, they just flat out go, "We're going to kill that guy." Listen, there's wickedness, and then there's that kind of wickedness. There's sin, and then there's that kind of sin, and all sin. But if we if we sin out of emotion, out of response, out of weakness, un, unprepared, um, not premeditated. And, that, and that's the worst kind. It's premeditated. Number two, he said, this plan isn't just premeditated and deliberate. It's cruel. It's cruel. These guys are bloodthirsty. They're going to throw him in a pit. So how's he going to die? Exposure, cold, hot, and starve to death. Man, that's pretty cruel. I mean, they could kill him, just kill him. But no, they're going to stick him in a pit. Thirdly, it was a, a scornful plan. The last thing they said is, here comes the dreamer. Let's see how his dreams work out now. That's what they were saying. In other words, they were saying, he thinks he's going to rule over us one day. He can't rule over us if he's dead. Now, what they didn't realize is they're fighting against God's plan. In other words, they're resisting God's plan for Joseph's life. They're resisting God's plan for their life. In other words, we reject the dream. We reject God's revelation, and we're going to take matters into our own hand, and, and this isn't going to be this way. Warning here for us, we need to be really careful that we don't resist God's plan in our lives. We need to be really careful that we don't end up setting ourselves up to fight God, that we be, that we be compliant, that we pray and we seek what God's purpose is for us, for our lives and for what we do. Because if we fight God, you know how that works out, right? You can never win. So we need to be doing what God wants us to do. These boys were fighting God. And then fourthly, it was a deceptive plan. Because what are they going to tell their dad? And, and the amazing part is all 10 of them agree to it. We'll take his coat and we'll tell dad we found it and that a wild animal killed him. All, all along, the 10 of them are going to kill him. Their plan is to kill him. So this, this group of boys are what I call rascals. Now here's the most amazing part. You ready? God's going to use every one of them guys to start the nation of Israel. The head of each tribe. Isn't that amazing? I mean, a bunch of murdering, lying, backstabbing fellas, okay? I mean, thugs, you know, just... And God, God already has a plan that I'm going to use this group of fellas, 
this rabble right here, and I'm going to give birth to a whole nation. And each one of them is going to be the father, the head, one of the tribes of my people. Boy, now there's a plan. And we go, God, you couldn't find some better fellows? I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, I know, we're, I know we're all sinful and I know we're not good, but, you know, brother killing, lying, you know, cheating, kill a whole city full of people kind of guys, couldn't find some better than that. And you know what I came to understand? That's us. We, we are them. You see, here's the deal. You go, well, I've never killed anybody. Listen, we've committed every sin in the book in our heart, haven't we? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, you know, we joke about it sometimes, but sometimes people make you bad, and you, you know, and you think in your mind, I've already killed you three times, man, so stop talking. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think, because in your heart, you're mad and you're, and you're upset. So what I'm saying is, we, that's us. We are them. I mean, God, think about it. God looked around the world and said, I'm going to build me a church and they're going to be my people and it's going to be the bride of my son, going to be the bride of Christ and I'm going to bring them to heaven forever and they're going to, they're going to be the centerpiece of showing my mercy and my love and my grace. And he picked us. So we could say the same thing. God, you couldn't find some better people? You couldn't find some, you couldn't find some better? And you know what God's answer is? No, I specialize in saving the worst, brother. I specialize in saving the, saving the rabble and the killers and the backstabbers and the liars, which we are. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God picked a bunch of boys who were going to kill their brother and lie to their dad uh, uh, to build a nation out of? And the fact is, God saved us in the same way. Same mercy, same grace. And in the same way that God had a plan for those boys, God has a plan for you and me. God has a plan for your life. And God's plan is better than our plan. God's plan is better than anything we could come up with. God's plan is better than anything we could attain in this life or get a name or, or, or fame or money or wealth or stuff. It's better because it's God's plan. And here's the best part. In eternity, when, when, when this life is over and we stand before, before our Lord and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you did the thing that God called you to do, whatever it is that you do, and he gives you a place in heaven to be with him, the reward will be forever. The fellowship with him. These guys are a bunch of rascals and God saved them and had a, a plan for them. You're going to see by the end of this study, they're going to get it at the end because they're going to see Joseph and Joseph, instead of, listen, Joseph is going to be in a position to make them pay. And I mean to make them pay in blood. But what does he do? You know the story. He shows them the love of God. And he says, you guys meant this for evil. Boy, did they. But God meant it for good. So Joseph said, how can I, how can I do anything? Because God meant it for good. So it is with us today. God means it for good for us, for all of life and for eternity. So there was one brother who had some trepidation. Look at verses 21 and 22. The oldest boy, Reuben. Well, good for him. I mean, he had been a kind of a failure up to this point, but at least he, he said, well, you know, we can't kill our brother. But isn't it amazing that he went along with the group because peer pressure is pretty powerful. And I tell my, I tell my kids all the time, well, you have a backbone and stand up and when something's wrong, well, you just say it's wrong. Well, you just go, no, I'm not doing that. That's not right, and I'm not doing it. That's what Reuben should have done. But listen to what he did, verses 21 and 22. But Reuben heard it. 
And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. Now here's the reason, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now, I don't know how Reuben came to this, you know, epiphany, this revelation, but Reuben had some conviction. My opinion is if you read Reuben's life, he'd already failed his dad. And as the elder, he'd already failed him. And I think Reuben is wanting to, wanting to rekindle his relationship with his dad by delivering the son that he loves back to him out of the hand of these boys. And so his plan was, we're going to put him in this pit, and whenever they're not looking or whenever they're I'm had a plan, but he should have just flat out said, you ain't touching him, and you ain't hurting him, and I'm taking him back to the house, and that's that. But Reuben was a, a bit of a wimp and apparently heavily influenced by his brothers. Now, look at verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Verse 24, then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. They sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our, our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. Then, uh, then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of soup to Egypt. Man, I want some brothers like that. Let me, give you, let me give you some things to think about in this and we'll close. Number one, they humiliated Joseph. When he came, <clears throat> I can only imagine again, Joseph meant them good. Maybe when he approached them, he greeted them with kindness. I would think he did. Hey, Glad I found you guys. Been looking for you for a week now. Dad's worried about you, and Dad wanted me to come check on you. And before he can get the words out of his mouth, they grab him and maybe begin to rough him up, and they take his coat off of him, and they are humiliating him and, and intentionally uh, degrading him. And you can only imagine the things they were saying to him. If they had a heart to kill him, there's no telling what kind of ugly things they were saying to him to humiliate him. Uh, and, they, and so they throw him in this, in this pit instead of just killing him outright. And then it says here that they sat down to eat. We don't miss that little thing. I mean, we just threw our brother in the pit to die. Let's eat. You know, hey, what you got to eat? And let's get something to eat and hang out. And so you can imagine the other brothers all sitting around uh, fellowshipping and having a good time while their brother's in the pit. And I can imagine he's calling out a pit, hey guys, hey, hey, uh, okay, that's funny, uh, get me out of the pit, and by the way, I'm hungry, I've been walking all day, do you have some water? And they, and they ignore him, and they eat, and they have a good time. And I wrote this in my notes, it's sad when a person's heart gets so hard that there's no more conviction, there's no more tenderness, there's no more compassion for another human being. And there are people like that in society today who are just hard and wicked. I was watching the news the other day, and maybe you've seen this. There's this thing going around where people walk up to someone in the, in, on the sidewalk in the street and just with no, with no warning, 
take them out, punch them, hit them, knock them down. And who, what kind of heart do you have to have to do that? And, and they do it sometimes to elderly people and people who can't defend themselves. That's the worst kind of coward. That's the worst. That's how these guys were. Throw them in a pit. Let's eat. Let's have, let, let's not. That's where society's going. Hardness of heart, no conviction. And then they sold him into slavery. Now Judah, by the way, talking about them boys being rascals, who's going to come from Judah's line? The Messiah, Jesus. The tribe, you know, the, the, the tribe of David. And so Judah's in, the, in among them. And by the way, if you study Judah's life, he's no saint, right? That dude, that dude has some issues. But again, God's going to use him and the Messiah's going to come out of his line. The last thing, Judah comes up with his plan. Hey, if we kill him, we get nothing. If we kill him, you know, after all, he is our brother. Why don't we sell him? Was that supposed to be better, Judah? Is that, is that supposed to be a better plan than killing him? Hey, why don't we sell him? Here comes a, the Ishmaelites. Let's just sell him, make some money, and we'll two birds with one stone. We'll get money, and we'll be rid of him. We'll never see him again. Yeah, joke's on you. Hey, think about this. One last thing. Ishmaelites, who are they? Oh, this is great, man. God just using everybody. Who, who's who's uh, Ishmael's brother? Isaac, yeah. Isaac and Ishmael, right? Hagar, the son that Abraham wasn't supposed to have and he had, you know, the whole deal, right? And, and God said, no, that ain't him. I'm going to give you. And then, and then Abraham throws Ishmael out and sends him and Hagar away. And the angel comes and says, I'll bless the boy. Well, did he ever? Here's a bunch of Ishmaelites who are wealthy traders, uh, businessmen. Man, they're headed down to Egypt full of merchandise. And they're, they're doing, they, here's my point. The Ishmaelites are doing just fine, all right? They're doing just fine while God's people over here killing one another. The, the brothers are killing one another, and the Ishmaelites are just doing business, hanging out, right? Well, here come the Ishmaelites. Isn't it wonderful how God uses the sentence of Ishmael to get Joseph where he needs to be? God can just use everybody. That's what I'm telling you. God can use the Ishmaelites and the Abrahamites and the, and the, and the, and the otherites. God's using them all, right, to get people where he wants them to be. So they come along, they sell Joseph, and he goes down to Egypt. And we're going to leave it right there. You know the story, and we're going to look at it. When Joseph gets to Egypt, things go from bad to worse, right? But God's with him. God's with him the whole time, and God has a plan. And really, if we sum the whole thing up, God can take. God is a master at taking men's evil and wicked intentions and turning it for his purpose and for his good. God's been doing it a long time. The ultimate is he did it with Jesus. The Romans and the Jews of Jesus, they meant him evil. They meant kill him and be done with him. And the Father said, oh no, he's coming back in three days and he's going to rule the whole world. God can turn good out of wickedness.
tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, that one who he's a type of, I invite you to do that to the word. Lord, his brothers were just wicked and sinful, and, and God, so we are as well, Lord, in all our sin and our undoneness. And yet in great grace and mercy, God, you had compassion on those boys, and you used them in a mighty way. God, I pray the same for us, that we be humble and contrite, we confess our sin, and God, you use us to accomplish your purposes in this life, and that you be glorified in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand on, on the first verse. The